Christmas joy and Christmas peace to you from God, our Father, and our newborn Savior, Jesus Christ. Our meditation on this happy night is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. Listen again to a portion of verse 6. Isaiah writes about the future Savior. This is what he says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. So far, our text. A couple of weeks ago, I read an online article all about how Christmas movies are big business these days, to the extent that Hallmark has made 136 new Christmas movies since 2008. Well, this got me thinking about Christmas movies, and so I googled top five Christmas movies of all time. What do you think they are? Number five, The Grinch, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Okay, that's the old cartoon version. All right, number four, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase. Okay, I mean, come on, Randy Quaid as Cousin Eddie. <laughs> Epic, right? Okay, number three, Christmas Story, You'll Shoot Your Eye Out, Kid. Okay, number two, Home Alone. Certainly stands alone, certainly worthy. But what do you think the number one Christmas movie of all time is? Give me a guess. It's a Wonderful Life. That's right. Frank Capra's 1946 classic starring Jimmy Stewart. So I watched it the other day. And while I watched it, I thought, you know what? This has the bones of a pretty good Christmas Eve sermon. And so here we are tonight. So let's pull out this oldie but goodie. Let's go back to Bedford Falls and see what's going on. Well, the movie might be called It's a Wonderful Life, but life wasn't so wonderful for George Bailey, now was it? Listen, listen to the following list of disappointments that follow this man's life around like a shadow. In fact, the disappointments take up the first two-thirds of the film. And they sound like this. All George dreams about is escaping podunk little Bedford Falls and travel the world, but it never happens. He wants to go to college and become an architect, but that never happens either. His father dies, and George is stuck running the Bailey building and loan. He has to cancel his honeymoon because there's a run on the bank. The house he lives in is falling apart, and so is his car. He's deaf in one ear and can't go off to war with the other young men. Uncle Billy loses $8,000, an $8,000 bank deposit, and now George faces bankruptcy, scandal, and prison. And all of a sudden, George Bailey is at the end of his rope. Actually, in the movie on Christmas Eve, George finds himself at the end of a bridge. Let's take a look. 
life of George Bailey was anything but wonderful, was it? Life was so unwonderful that George finds himself on the brink of the unthinkable. Not such a wonderful life. You know, part of the reason why this film has been much loved for decades is that people simply relate to it. They connect to it. And really, George is every one of you. And George is me. George Bailey struggled in his life. So do you. And so do I. Because let's face it, there are lots of times when your life isn't so wonderful either. And you can make a list too. Don't you have dreams that were never realized? Do you ever catch yourself wondering, what if? Or maybe you had to deal with the death of a loved one this past year. And there's a hole now in your heart. And there's a hole in your life. And you just don't know whether you'll ever be the same again. Do you hate your job? Do you wish you had a job? Do you struggle in school? Why is it that it seems like you never have any friends? At least any good friends. Has your life been a series of illnesses lately, one after the other, and it seems like you're always sick? Are you way too familiar with the word cancer? Are you struggling with your marriage, even tonight on this Christmas Eve? Have your children broken your heart lately? Do you hate thinking about the future because it just makes you sad? Every one of you has a list like this, and so do I. And what's the deal with that, anyway? Why is life on this side of heaven so gosh darn unwonderful sometimes? Why does this life have to hurt so much? Listen, I'll tell you the answer. The reason that life is so hard so often is because you live in a sinful world filled with sinful people, and that includes you, and that includes me. The world is sinful. Go figure. I could read you the headlines from this past week, but I don't want to bring you down on Christmas Eve. The world is sinful, and the people in it are sinful too. Two Saturdays ago, my wife decided to test our marriage. Here's what she did. Oh, this is true. She sent me to Target. <laughs> Two Saturdays before Christmas, I drove around that parking lot with 150 other people looking for a spot, and I noticed that the other drivers who were in my predicament were communicating to each other with sign language, okay? <laughs> it didn't mean Merry Christmas. <laughs> people are sinful. You are sinful, and if you don't think you're sinful, ask your spouse or ask your kids. They will provide you with names, dates, and places where you kicked God's commandments all the way to the curb with cell phone, photographic, and video evidence to back it up. The reason why our world and your life is not so wonderful has to do with sin. And that's exactly why this night is more wonderful 
than any other night this old world has ever known because 2,000 years ago, on this night, God did something about your sin. Just as he promised he would, he sent you a Savior. Now in our movie, God sends George Bailey a Savior too. Let's take a look. God rescues George Bailey by sending him a savior named Clarence Oddbody, Angel Second Class. And really, a pretty sad excuse for an angel. Strange, goofy, seemingly out of touch with reality. He doesn't even have his wings. In fact, George just laughs in his guardian angel's face. A more unlikely savior you will never see. But that's not really true. If you want to see an unlikely savior, one that will really drop your jaw, then come with me, come with me to Bethlehem. Because there he is. That's right, in the barn over there. Don't mind the hay, mind you. Don't mind the smell. Careful where you step. See that? There's a baby sleeping in the middle of all of that filth. God sent him to save the world. God sent him to do something about your sin. He's the most unlikely savior of all. And yet Isaiah wrote about him 400 years before he was born. Isaiah predicted, he summed up exactly what kind of Savior this Jesus Christ, this Son of God, come down to earth, what he would be all about. And here's what Isaiah said about Jesus. He said, and he shall be called Wonderful. Isn't that cool? Isn't that something? In the middle of our sinful, nasty, tear-filled, decidedly not-so-wonderful world, God drops his son right in the middle of it, and his son is perfectly wonderful with capital letters and ice cream on top. In fact, the Hebrew word for wonderful that Isaiah uses in our text is pella. Pella, which literally means that Jesus is miraculous, marvelous, an astounding thing which causes intense amazement. Ha! That baby is wonderful. He's amazing, and he's going to blow your mind. And here's how he's going to do it. He will blow your mind, first of all, because of who he is. God the Son, the second person in the Holy Trinity, the co-creator of everything now, God in human form, wearing his humanness like an ugly Christmas sweater, and he comes to visit. And secondly... That baby, that wonderful baby, will blow your mind 
because of what he will grow up to do for you. And so, there is a cross. Next one. There we go. And so, there's a cross behind the manger, just like every Christmas. And if you look closely, there's a crown made of bloody thorns. And there's a Roman scourge whip, and there's anger, and there's rage, and there's hatred, and there's betrayal, and then there's a slow murderer's death. Jesus is Mr. Wonderful in every way, but what he endured to pay for your sins and my sins and make death a band-aid for you and lift you out of hell all the way to heaven, what happened to him, no one would call wonderful. But he did it for you. And now you know what wonderful tastes like. It tastes like this night, Christmas Eve. Well, George does get saved, doesn't he? Clarence does his job. George realizes that his life matters. He finally figures out that his friends, his family, his past, his job, and even that one-horse town, they're not curses, they're not anchors at all, but wonderful blessings and are part of his amazingly wonderful life. Let's see his reaction. When you leave to church tonight, that's exactly how I want you to run out to your cars. <laughs> Why not? There's someone wonderful in the manger, the Son of God, God himself, come here to save you from yourself, and save you he will. On a good Friday and on an Easter dawn, was Jesus born to make your life wonderful right now? No, he was not. That comes later. But some of his wonderfulness does trickle down for you to taste in the here and now. Because, come on, you know how your game ends, don't you? I mean, you know that on the other side of death's door, wonderful waits for you. And that means that you can be, afford to be Christ-like now. It means that you can afford to be a little bit wonderful yourself. And so you forgive your spouse like Jesus forgives you when the two of you tangle. And you love your kids the way God loves you, even when they do something unlovable. And you do the best you can at work with the skills that God gave you, even though your boss still drives you nuts. You endure the illness you brave the cancer. You pray, thy will be done, O Lord. You even give the crazy drivers in the Target parking lot the benefit of the doubt. So what do you think on this Christmas Eve? Will life on this side of heaven always be wonderful? No. But there's a child in the manger who is 
come. Come with me now. Come, let us adore him. He's wonderful. Amen. And the peace in Christ that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.